Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Alchemy Answers episode 20, 20, the big 2-0. I remember when I turned 20 years old, and Alchemy Answers is uh, a lot more beautiful and hunky than I was at that point. So I refuse to believe that. I re absolutely refuse. I've seen your body. You are a hunk, sir. Well, well, thank you, and thank you to our viewers for tuning in for yet another episode. Uh, we got some great questions from our patrons. Thank you to our patrons for supporting us and being the uh, primary questions that we're going to be answering. But as we only have a few of them so far, we will definitely be taking some questions from chat today as well. And without further ado, let's get into the first question. Okay. Um, let's see. Lots of discussion going on in here. Uh, best way to deal with buff nakes and Ursa. We answered that last week, so I guess they would start here. So. Uh, Sir Snipes a lot asks question as an offlaner in the mid game how do you coordinate aggressive plays when the rest of your team is only focused on farming um that's a relatively general question so i'm going to give you basically a lot of answers for that but sometimes you just are dealt some cards in a game and you have to deal with that if your team is absolutely refusing to fight then as an offlaner you can still do a job and still be aggressive um and essentially like use your life to make space uh which will also get you farm but you'll allow your team to play that like farming play style basically like i would say that if your team is just farming you can still win the game because I've been playing a lot on a Smurf recently because uh, my internet's pretty bad. So I, I'm just like, all right, I, I don't want to lose too much MMR on my main. We'll get into that's a whole that's a whole other bag of worms. We'll get into that later. Can of worms, whatever. Uh, but essentially, like if you if you have a team that's farming and they're farming or whatever happens, like eventually a fight will occur between both teams and everybody will be there. Like chances are that will happen. Uh, so if you are if you are giving them space to farm and you just are the reason that your team, when that fight does occur, your team has more farm than them because of you, then like you're winning the game as an offlaner. So I would say that it's not like an inherently negative thing that your team is doing that, or at least you can view it as something that's not like inherently negative. However, however, I would say that like in terms of coordinating aggressive plays, um, you don't need a lot of heroes. Like for instance, if your team is splitting up to farm, then what the, what that's going to do if they're farming creep waves which is a better version of farming basically that's going to force the enemy team to split up as well and then you can coordinate an aggressive play either alone or with one of your teammates and kill the enemy kill an enemy in like a specific location let's say um your team is split pushing in all the lanes so the enemy team splits up and then you just go to like the bot lane and go for a gank there you know that that's just going to be one or two heroes down there because they have to split up to deal with your team pushing in all of the other waves so essentially, like, you can do aggressive plays with less heroes, and then once the enemy team is dead, people will be a lot more likely to group up for, like, a tower push, and then the game state changes from kind of that farming state to your team is actually in an area. Um, it's kind of like Donnie said in, in the last week's uh, replay review session, Spirit Breaker, like, he puts a target on somebody, and when the enemy team is dead and there's a tower like that kind of puts a target uh, a tower available like for free that basically puts a target on the tower and your t even like a bunch of idiots will group up and push if it's a free push because everybody wants to win dota even if they're farming they'll like group up and push so I, I don't know like i said lots of answers to like kind of a general question what do you think donnie um yeah i think that what you said is is all definitely true i i had a fairly similar realization to this earlier today when i was playing just that Generally, when you go into a game, you have like a tempo that you want to play. And let, let's say, for example, that you pick um, a, a hero like Huskar or Razor, who's a very up-tempo hero. And, and you want to be like being aggressive and taking early towers and taking early fights and playing around that style. But what if your team just all gets a Midas? Like what, you know, what can you do at that point? Are you just going to say, all right, guys, let's take a fight, even though you have literally no items and no HP and you know, nothing other than a Midas. Um, most people will probably do that because, it, you know, it's just natural to just want to take a fight because that's what you do. You just take a fight 
and then you fight again, and then you fight again, you fight again, and then eventually the game ends. And that's like the general experience in most pubs. But just because you have an idea of how the tempo of the game is supposed to go doesn't mean that all of your teammates are going to agree, and they're going to do their own thing. And so a lot of the time, you have to just kind of do a job that's available to you that may not be the main job that you want to be doing, but at least you're doing some job that's important. So whether that could be, you know, let's say you want to push towers, but nobody wants to push towers with you. So, you know, you just farm and you keep the creep waves out because the rest of your team's in the jungle hitting creeps or something like that. Or you um, don't have a BKB and you need one to go fight because you're a Sven or, you know, something like that, an anti-mage against a bunch of lockdown. And your team's like, all right, we're going to go fight here. We're going to go fight here. We're going to go fight here. And you're like, no, I need my BKB before we go. Well, your team's going to make a decision and that might not be the decision that you want to make. And so at that point, do you just go and fight and lose the game and, and get farther and farther behind on your anti-mage? Hopefully not. Hopefully you just decide, okay, well, I'm going to do the job that I can that still benefits my team, which might be to split push a tower while they're taking a fight and get some pressure, you know, get the creeps to their base. Uh, this is the kind of thing that you have to deal with a lot in pubs, which is that you're going to have an idea. Your team's going to have an idea. If they line up, you probably are going to be playing very, very well and playing very fast and winning the game a lot. But if they don't line up, you're going to have to pick sort of like the next best option for you to be doing things uh, that also still kind of helps your team's other game plan. And a lot of the time, like you said, especially as an offlaner, that could literally just be creating space with your own life. Because if your whole team is buying four Midas's and sitting in your jungle and your side of the map farming, and you're able to draw the entire enemy team to their tier two tower or their tier three tower over and over and over and over and over, eventually your four Midas team is going to have enough farm to beat them. I actually kind of want to piggyback off of that because I remember why I brought up the the Smurf uh, thing. But I, I I played a few games with my brother brothers-in-law um, last season. They were divine this season i think they both calibrated to be ancient i think a lot of people calibrated lower uh so basically when we party queued we were playing in like low divine slash ancient bracket and something that i realized in this bracket that's largely different from the immortal bracket um and i would assume all the brackets below are going to be the same because this is more of like a negative thing it's it's like a misunderstanding of a concept or a misconception is that People seem to think that the only way to progress the game forward is to take and win a fight and then get an objective off of that. But you can actually get objectives or fight when you're behind or progress the game forward in many different ways by just splitting the map and essentially farming. It's just that it's not the farming that's important. Your team might think that that's important because they're anti-mages and begging for their next item, etc. But it's more so that the enemy team has to split up to deal with you and you could get a tower in that time where they're dealing with your team on the opposing side of the map. Like you could essentially use your team as a distraction. And the reason that I brought up the Smurf again is because there was a, a liking game that I played recently where essentially uh, we couldn't fight the enemy team. They had some like Tidehunter, Super Farmed Razor, these heroes that essentially like would just obliterate us in a team fight. So I, I ended the game with almost no kills because the only time that I was going for a kill was when one person would come to deal with me. And I spent the entirety of the game waiting for the enemy team to five-man to my team. I would take a tower. They'd five-man to me, and I'd go run away, go jungle. They'd five-man to my team, and they would just yo-yo across the map. And eventually, slowly but surely, their Razor, who was destroying, was like level 13 when our carry was level 15 or 16 <laughs> because they were just spending so much time getting yo-yoed across the map and still losing objectives. I think we, we eventually got two racks without even taking a fight with them because they just didn't have the resources to deal with our split pushing. Um, I, I think even if we fought them, like we couldn't have fought them still at that point, but because they have the resources to fight you doesn't mean they have the resources to deal with your split pushing, especially when they have Razor, Tidehunter, these heroes that don't farm that quickly, but really like to fight. And essentially win games by just fighting better than you. Yep. Just don't fight. Yeah. You don't have to fight and don't you can push the game forward in like a lot of other ways as well. Yep, exactly. I don't have anything else to add, so let's go on to the next question. 
Yeah, this was this was a, a long tangent, but we have more questions. Don't worry. Hockillionaire, this is the this is the Smurf, the six K Smurf, um, says during the landing phase, how do you prioritize who to gank slash shut down mid their safe lane carry or to pr protect slash harass your own safe lane? Essentially, who gets priority or how do you work out? Who has the uh, the the priority? Please answer broadly across all examples. Then he gives an example, but essentially, like, okay, I, I I've actually I've thought about this a lot recently, just because Donnie and I make something very complicated question. To be, it's honest. a very complicated <laughs> question. But for, for 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 me in particular, like, I I feel like I have a pretty um, specific opinion of like how the game should be played. Uh, because of course Donnie and I like make videos about it, so I feel like I've I've written it down. It's kind of like writing it down gives you a more solidified opinion on it, where you actually know like okay, this is what I think, and this is why I, I think this, and it's not just impulse or mix and match of these different ideas that I've learned. But essentially, I was thinking like there's still so much to it that there are lessons that I remember learning like two years ago or one year ago, where it's like oh fuck this is a problem for me now, or this is a problem for this person that I'm watching their replay review, but how many times did I miss this really important concept that I could have brought up during other replay reviews because I just literally didn't think about it. Um, and going back to your question, I was thinking about the concept of like analyzing a draft and figuring out who to gank, who to shut down, like what to actually do given a particular draft. Uh, I think people were asking in terms of like team fight priority. That was in that was kind of what I was thinking about. But in terms of like who to gank in the laning phase, who to uh, protect in the laning phase, these are all equivalent questions. It's just at different points in Dota. Team fighting is in the mid game. Laning is in the early game. But essentially, I would say that the majority of this, if you wanted a flow chart, which is when I was in the shower the other day thinking this as a shower thought i was thinking like oh man i want to make a general flow chart for this but it always starts with like what is your win condition and that's a hard question to answer but usually in dota in in, in a relatively simple draft there is like a hero on your team that is going to win the game and then a hero on the enemy team that is going to win the game at a specific timing there's always a timing there's always a power spike and you always aim for, like, essentially the easiest one. So Spectre gets a Radiance. That's a power spike. You probably want to fight around that. Everything up until that point should just be focusing on that Spectre getting that Radiance. Anti-Mage gets Battle Fury, maybe Abyssal Blade plus Manta Style. That's, like, the timing for Anti-Mage. So everything up until that point should focus on that Anti-Mage. And within that context, you basically need to look at the enemy team and figure out is there any hero that if I don't shut that hero down, they will stop that timing? If so, then you need to have some of your focus in the draft and in the game, whether it's your four-roll stalks them around the jungle or whatever, focused on shutting down that hero. If it's like a Shadow Fiend or a Storm or whatever it is, you want to shut down that timing, that will stop your timing. And sometimes there's multiple timings, multiple power spikes, and that's where things get kind of difficult when you have like three really strong cores versus three really strong cores. It's kind of like, you basically hope to go late, eventually take a Roshan, and then high ground. Um, but then there's still a particular way that your heroes are going to want to play the map. For instance, Terrorblade likes to sit in the enemy jungle and send illusions down a lane until he outfarms everybody. You take a fight where the enemy team is essentially running away, he comes in with meta, kills three people, you take Rax. Um, we've even recently seen like EG when they play with Arteezy on Terrorblade, they will leave all tier ones up except for the safe lane tier one and tier two. And they'll play around the high ground and look to fight, kill the enemy team, and then racks like 15, 20 minutes in the game. That that's their play style. And it's it's a good timing. But basically, to sum it all up, you 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 essentially want to look for your power spikes, the enemy team's power spikes, and then try your fucking hardest to make those power spikes happen for you and stop them from happening on the enemy team. And if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. That's why it's a complicated game. But that's 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 the starting point, essentially. That's what you need to think about. Um, so I have a slightly different answer. I I kind of agree to you, but I also kind of disagree in the sense that I know I, what you're about to say. I I don't I believe that if just if you have like a Spectre who needs the Radiance timing, that Spectre's Radiance timing becomes your main focus as a team because 
generally speaking, most teams have various heroes that have different levels at which they become strong. Obviously, if you have something like a a razor in your mid lane and then you have a specter in your safe lane, the specter and the razor are going to be stronger at different points in the game. And so I think that maybe a more complicated but possibly more effective way to think about for it the, for the record i said this is where the flow chart starts like the, yeah where you're going where no, you're going with this is how like don't get offended I'm, dude don't i'm get just offended. saying, dude, I'm just saying <laughs> like, like it, it if you watch vp play they basically execute what you're about to, what you're saying perfectly yes. yeah so here but, here's here's the whole thing this is this is like the full picture um that i think is is fairly hard to execute in pubs but it's something that you can kind of do um, and you can kind of take this role a lot of the time. So basically, if you have a Razor and you have a Spectre, you should focus on making the Razor have a good early game so you can have a good early to mid game. And then his good early to mid game will allow your Spectre to have a good mid game, which is going to allow your Spectre to get to the late game with a good mid to late game, which is going to allow your Spectre to actually hit his power spike and win you the game. And this is what VP does, is they they do a very good job, and a lot of pro teams do this now, where they have a tempo-setting core and a you know tempo-setting four role, usually. And those two heroes are going to be the ones that really control the pace of the game between 10 and 20 minutes. And then they're going to have their hard carry, their position one, whether it's a Medusa in the mid lane or an Arc Warden or Terrorblade in the safe lane. And that is going to be the one that is just kind of like this weak can contribute, but probably won't very much until he absolutely has to or gets to his actual power spike timing. And I think in pubs, something that you can do is, generally speaking, you can assume that every single person on your team will play greedier than they should because that's just what pubs do. Every single pub player will play greedier than they should, and that's why you have supports getting blink daggers at like 12 minutes, even though... They probably should be buying wards and only have brown boots, but you know nobody's going to do that in a pub game. Um, you're going to have people going Midas Radiance with nothing else because that's you know that's what people do in pub games. So what you competitive need to, too recently? Yeah. So what you may need to do is let's say you pick a I don't know. Let's say you pick a Monkey King in the safe lane, or let's say you pick a um, what's another good example? A a Viper in the mid lane, something like that. And you are a hero. Let's go with the Monkey King example. So you're Monkey King in the safe lane. You have a reasonably good good lane. It's not the best lane. You're not like completely snowballing, but you have a pretty good lane. A lot of people are probably just going to go Battle Fury because they're the safe lane. They want to get farmed. They're just going to, you know, do that farming thing where they play their own solo game hitting creeps and then eventually come back to the fight and win in the late game. But if their whole team, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier with the intentionality thing, goes back to, okay, the rest of their team is playing greedy. Their Earthshaker is just farming his Blink Dagger instead of actually ganking with Fissure. He doesn't think he can do anything without a Blink Dagger. The Lion, who's the position five, is farming the jungle and trying to get his Blink Dagger because he feels like he can't do anything without a Blink Dagger. Now, you're a Monkey King who is the position one, you're supposed to be the late game insurance policy, you're supposed to be the carry, but if you go Battle Fury right now, you're gonna get absolutely run over. So you have to go something else. You have to go like Phase Boots, Echo Saber, Shadow Blade, BKB, that kind of stuff, and play a less greedy, more tempo setting style of carry and just accept that while you are the quote unquote position one, you're not actually a real position one because if you do play a real position one, you guys are going to lose the game. You you wanna focus on your win condition, but there usually has to be a couple stages to get to that win condition. And if you it's don't true. this is if you don't go through the stages, if you don't have like the mid game stage and then the mid late game stage and then the late game stage, which is your actual win condition then you're never going to get to that late game stage. So you actually have to have somebody to kind of like progress you to that actual win condition who usually is not your win condition. This is why like uh, teams have started tri-laning Beastmasters and Timbersaws and, and even like Magnuses. Yes. Uh, it's it's because it... I, I have to say one person that was like super ahead of the curve on this concept, like this is not an old concept. This is like a relatively new thing. <laughs> to like sacrifice 
a hard carry and then have them come back in the mid game and, and instead of uh it's just because like generally it's a lot easier to support that early tempo controlling hero because they're better in the early game yeah so they'll have as much as but they'll do more in the mid game which it essentially just equates to more farm eventually for the carry than if you were to support the carry in the early game. Uh, but Sunbi, Sunbi was super ahead of the curve on this. I remember for the longest time he would play Spectre safe lane and he would literally tell his team, fuck off, <laughs> go kill mid. This was when ganking mid was really good. Go do lane the off lane, like do whatever you can to just win all the other lanes overwhelm people with this weird strategy and then he'll just be fine eventually get a couple of kills with haunt come back by jungling because then all the other heroes would be so farmed but specter is good at coming back whereas like these tempo controlling heroes how does a razor come back exactly like, razor's not like it, it actually makes a lot of sense and now somebody's the coach of team secret team secret's the best team in the world arguably yep. and this sort of play style happens to be in the meta i don't think that's a fucking coincidence that this guy is like one of the best arguably well one of the best coaches in the world because it's hard to compare him with seb but it's like this guy's a good very good coach tier one coach and this is like this is the way that he's always thought about dota playing pubs with him i know this is the way he's always thought about dota so yeah it's it it is a lot more complicated to think about it that way and you're still technically speaking or thinking about the specters um radiance timing it's just you're doing it in a, a less intuitive way. But Spectre still technically with this playstyle should be stronger earlier on into the game. Like right. because like even if you or the whole team, I should say, the whole team will essentially be stronger, but Spectre will still get strong and still have a timing where they win the game. It basically just gives you like a smoother path to victory as opposed to like having hit this one yes. hard timing where right. you're gonna win the game. Like if you have a Spectre and you have an axe in the off lane. And you could you could win the safe lane, but your specter is still going to be contested. He's still going to miss last hits because there's going to be not people gonna, he's harassing st and he's him. He's still not going to do as much as an axe. Yeah, and like even even 15 minutes in, your specter is going to have like if he's lucky a relic, and that's not going to do anything. But if if you can give your axe a good 12 minutes, he's going to have a blink dagger and he's going to be able to kill anybody on the map, which is going to you allow can leave him alone, and then specter can you can either support the specter, specter can get farm, or specter can buy a fucking midas and you run around with this super powerful axe. Spectre farms her her whole jungle. Like, yep, yeah. It, it once again, it 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 is definitely the way to play Dota, but it all stems from like you need to think about like at what point you're actually going to win the game. Sometimes there's I think we watched a replay and the replay analysis like last week where we saw an anti mage, and usually anti mage is your win condition, but they were just running around and fighting. Anti mage was dying a lot. And then they just won the game because the early game heroes were doing so well on their timing that they didn't need the anti-mage to hit his timing. Yeah. Sometimes that happens too. And that's kind of why this new new strat uh, in terms of like focusing on your win condition and, and focusing on the early game tempo controllers is why this is smoother and it's easier because you have the chance to just dominate so hard in the early game that you just win there. You don't need your specter to get a fucking radiance. You just end the game, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's definitely... There's a lot more opportunity to actually win the game in in uh, with with that sort of uh, thought process. Anyway, That's why it's really uh, nice to have like a Huskar and then like some hard carry like a Luna. Yeah, or, or oh, like I love that shit. Something dude. like that where it's like, okay, we can probably just win the game at 18 minutes, or if right. we don't, we have like something that's going to win the game at 40. Right. It's like it's like when there's a oh god like a brood plus Huskar plus Timbersaw. It's like have fun dealing with all of these fucking heroes, man. Yeah. You know. <laughs> But then it's great to have like one of these late game, you know, Slark or something. So if you do go late, you don't just lose the game because you have no late game carry. Like your Slark will still be huge. That's why it's always frustrating in pubs. Like I, I played a Huskar game the other day where we were just destroying in the um the the early game. And I'm pretty sure that the Slark that I had was an account buyer because I looked at his profile and it was just all rank ups and 90% win rates with Huskar and stuff like that. But uh basically we destroyed them in the early game, took all of their towers, and then we got to the late game. And somehow because we kind of fucked up and uh the slark was super farmed but he was running into fights and dying without like pressing pkb or pressing ultimate it's like well i mean those are fuck ups and those happen i totally get that but it's very unfortunate that the guy that's supposed to be absolutely a monster at that point of the game isn't just because of these mechanical misplays and crucial fights yep. you know what i mean it's it's sometimes it's, that it's, happens uh, it's really rough but like late game as like a huskar there's a lot less that you can do because it's like you have this early game this early game timing and you hit that 
and sometimes you hit that timing just to make space for these other heroes. And uh, but that's 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 pubs. Those those games are bound to happen. Uh, okay, so RFX. Uh, Follow up question to the same question that we just answered. Um, in what circumstances is it to adjust to a trilane? For example, when should we match trilane with trilane? When should we stay two one two? And when should we create our own trilane versus their solo laner? God, these are. Uh, these are, are relatively it's like complicated com questions. Yeah, it's like competitive questions that would basically never apply to your pubs. But I know I know why he's asking is because he's playing in like the Reddit Dota 2 League or something like yeah. that with a squad. So he is really thinking more deeply about team play, um, which doesn't apply to a whole lot of people usually, but it is definitely something that we can address. These are like these are like complicated captain questions, but I would gener I would say that generally like when it comes to playing in these leagues and playing competitively and when you should adjust uh, to, to have certain lane matchups, you should trust your teammates. Like, if if your team says, I don't want to lane, if your teammate says, I don't want to lane against this hero, I won't have a game. Or if your team says, I will fucking obliterate this hero, give me a lane against it. And then your other core that would be swapping lanes with that person says, yeah, I'll do fine in this scenario. That's when you swap the lanes. Like, it's really hard to look at a draft and then look at the enemy draft and be like, here's the perfect lane matchup. You know, it's it's more like the people that play the heroes that are going to be laning need to be the ones that understand if they can completely destroy a lane. Like, for instance, I was playing with Complexity Death the other day, and they picked Lifestealer versus his Batrider. I was Ursa uh, as a support, and I just essentially followed around the Lifestealer. And he followed around the other hero that he picked in order to, I think it was like a Terror Blade or something. He wanted to lane against that. And we kept swapping that. And he kept saying, TP, this guy TP'd, we TP. And we, I think they ended up feeding couriers at like seven minutes into the game because they, they couldn't handle the lanes. That's when you want to swap the lanes, essentially, when either there's an opportunity for the enemy team to get a lane matchup where they have like three winning lanes, or when there's an opportunity for you to have like three winning lanes, or two super winning lanes where like you have a bat versus a terror blade which is a completely destructive matchup terror blade feeds every time but in order to know these matchups like you're not going to be able to know that as a captain you need to trust your cores to make those decisions where it's like i'm a bat rider player i know that bat rider fucking annihilates terror blade maybe you don't because you're not an offlane player but i know that and you need to trust me when i make that decision and if i get that wrong that's on me essentially like in competitive i think that's I think that's how most captains do it. Like we can see in like the true site, Kuroki asks like Miracle what he wants to play. And he's just like, give me this, you know, yeah. give me this. And he just trusts him. He just gives it to him because it's like, it's essentially understood that just in that game, he knows that that hero is going to do really well. Cause that's his role. That's his job to know that. So yeah, definitely. There is some weight. There is quite a bit of weight placed on the, the player's like feel of the lane. As far as like when to try lane, when not to try lane, I mean, that's kind of tough to differentiate just because, like, it's still kind of hard to tell whether a whether tri-lanes are, like, really that good at this point. You know, dual lanes are still very popular. I think if you want a tri-lane, it's probably because kind of what we were saying in that, that last sort of, like, tempo controlling thing. It's because you really want to just get a specific hero off to a very fast start and put a lot of pressure on a specific hero. And then... If you can't get that matchup, then you just don't try lane. Like, also, you have to have the heroes to try lane. If you have a Luna plus, you know, two aggressive heroes, that's probably a pretty decent try lane because Luna works very well in try lane. If you have a Undying and somebody like if you're if you're trying to try lane into an Undying, however, it's probably better to just split up your heroes and not try lane into the Undying. Um, if you have it, you know, it's, it's just so like game by game basis. I don't really know like the best way to answer when it's to hard. try lane. It's, because... it's, yeah, it's it's pretty hard. That that's why I would just say it's like within the jurisdiction of the course. Like if you have somebody who's really confident on a hero and they're just like, oh my god, if they try lane us, we'll fucking destroy them. Just trust that person. If they get it wrong, call them an idiot. Like yeah. that's that's the only like I would say you just if if there's a specific lane in the game that you know you can completely obliterate based on doing that lane 
then just adjust the other lanes to suit that lane situation. Yeah. Um, other, otherwise, you don't just arbitrarily like swap the lanes. You just just if they want to try lane you, let them try lane you. If you know that your safe lane is like a good safe lane, you'll get farm. And but like you, you want to, you just want to do do the swaps with a purpose. If if you really feel like just something is incredibly good, then then go with that. Essentially, okay. Every yeah. team that I've ever played on, it's always been in the jurisdiction of like the cores because they're the ones that need to have the good game to carry in like the mid game. Okay, so some quick questions from chat. What's the answer to life stealer in this patch? I would say stuff like Ursa, Terrorblade. Ursa, Ursa is so good. Yeah, Terrorblade is also like, very good. Um, Weaver, Weaver is really good. I think that Sven is reasonably good because he does a lot of heavy physical burst. PA is reasonably good. My personal opinion on this Lifestealer hero is that, like, the only reason that he feels so good right now in the patch is because people have not adjusted their picks. Yeah, to, I agree. To, to destroy him. Like, the amount of times that I'm just, like, a Necrophos versus... And I'm this is including myself, because I'm kind of playing... Well, number one, I was playing on a Smurf last week, so in Immortal games, I've been getting kind of fucked by people that are counterpicking me. Um, but then also, like, you know, I'll pick, like, Batrider, because that's a pick that I would pick in the last patch and then some guy's a life stealer or jug and it's like oh fuck i can't do anything versus him why am i not just picking ursa every game yeah. like there are certain heroes in this patch that given the subset of heroes that people are picking there's almost never a bad ursa game because people are still picking the same stuff from like the previous patch plus like two or three heroes so i think i think that's a huge issue with like my own i, I lost a bunch of calibration games on my main i think that was a, a big issue with it was i was um I was picking a lot of stuff that was like not taking into account the current strong carries. I was thinking yeah. about. I really don't think Lifestealer is that good of a hero still. Like he got he got an okay buff to his movement speed, and that's about it. He's still the same hero that like really struggles to farm quickly. Doesn't contribute a whole lot in fights outside of like a, a Nakes bomb. Dude, if you send that cocksucker to the jungle, we're demonetized because I just said that. But if you send him to the jungle, he does nothing. Like yeah, he jungles yeah. so slowly compared to a Terrorblade or something like His that. His attack speed is so garbage and just like it's terrible. Yeah, everything about that hero is actually pretty slow paced, and so the fact that he's winning is literally just because people are still picking like these really tanky aura heavy people that are like, oh, to have like let me just eat you because I'm a life stealer, you know? Right. It's like you pick life stealer versus centaur versus batrider versus Magnus. Hell, even versus like a Necrophos. These heroes don't shit on Lifestealer when there is shitting on capacity there in this game. Like, I don't think Weaver got that much of a buff in the patch, but if Lifestealer, Ursa, and Sven are strong, then so is Weaver because he's so mobile. He's yep. so annoying for them to try to catch. Like, the meta should definitely shift where these heroes are going to be considered broken even though they didn't really get buffed just because they destroy... Uh, they destroy Lifestealer. That's why I think Ursa's really good, too. Like, Ursa's really good against Sven, really good against Lifestealer, basically just good against a lot of the stuff that people are picking in this patch. If people are still picking, like, PL, maybe Ursa's not that great, because PL... Well, Ursa's okay against PL, but you get you get what I'm saying. If people are picking, like, Illusion-heavy heroes, or if people are picking more Weavers, or if Ricky was, like, a carry people were picking, or any of these mobile heroes, Ursa wouldn't be as good. Yep. But the thing is, with almost every carry that's in the game, like Ursa can run them down. Yep. So if you are struggling with Lifestealer, pick an Ursa, run it as support, just run it at that guy. He'll have such a terrible game. Weaver too, run it as support. You just need one hero to make that that uh that hero's life hell and he feels so much less useful. Yep. Okay. Uh Proton Gelu says a normal player that hasn't played any MOBA before Dota 2, after how much time of playing uh could he achieve 6k MMR? The answer to that is there's really no way to like give you an actual timeline it totally depends on your practice habits your talent what, what, what was the what was the from How, what to what from nothing to 6k nothing to 6k i would say like five years of four to five years of of being a pretty good practicer <laughs> a good learner yeah you have to you have to be a very very good like assimilator of knowledge and you have to go into every single game you play with intention to learn and not just like to play dota you have to like study replays study mechanics um there's you know there's there's a lot of work that goes into actually getting to 6k you don't just like play dota and eventually get there i think like yesterday somebody was um asking me about like one-on-one -on -one coaching and basically said hey i'm 
you know, 3.6k MMR. I want to get to Immortal in one to two years. And I said, like, oh my god, I'm so glad you said one to two years. He said two years. He said two years, not one to two years. And I was so glad that he said two years, because the amount of times that I've heard, I'm going to drop everything and go pro in a year, it doesn't work like that. Like, number one, the reason that I liked what this dude said to me uh, was because, like, getting immortal is not equivalent to going pro like going pro is like steps above that it's way harder to do the pro the pro stuff that's almost like getting to immortal is one task and then get going pro from immortal is like as much work as that so already saying two years to go immortal is much more reasonable than saying i'm going to take a year drop everything and go pro um and then two years is also i would say that depending on how quickly you can like donnie said assimilate knowledge and actually um internalize it and make things become your instinct how quick of a learner you are it could take one year if you're a quick learner or two years if you're a relatively slow learner but i think like i think 3.6k mmr to you know 5.8k which is immortal i think is actually pretty reasonable assuming you're a decent learner it might if you're a really terrible learner it might take like three years but it's not this game, man, it's not something that just happens. Like you can't just drop everything and and learn it. People have invested so many hours into this game. Like half of these immortal players have been playing for like ten fucking years or something like that, and they play like twelve hours a day every day and don't have jobs and live with their parents. Like it's not a it's not a pretty sight, <laughs> but that's honestly what it takes to get that high rated. Just because it's a really hard game, yep. and a lot of people are very very addicted to it. So yeah, I think I think like five to six years from nothing to immortal is is reasonable, but then that's not even pro level yet. Yep. Um, okay. Here's another good question. If I'm a captain in captain's mode, is it fine to pick a good team lineup and ignore what the teammates say? I mean, if the lineup is good enough, it doesn't matter if the players are a little bit bad, right? The answer is hero comfort in most cases is way more important than hero hero composition. Um if you pick somebody in Ember Spirit and they've played the hero twice and you're expecting them to be able to hit slight into chains and have impact and dodge and not die, you are expecting way too much out of that person. So I think that I would much rather have a really shitty lineup of people on heroes that they know than the meta on heroes that like i see this so often in pubs somebody will like highlight a hero and then some asshole in chat is like you should pick this hero hero. and you should pick this hero and you should pick this hero and then we're gonna play this style of game and they like have their own idea and they tell everybody what to pick and people are like oh well i only play invoker mid and they're like well this game you should play od and he's like i don't play od they're like OD's a good pick against this hero. And so he picks OD, and he's literally never played OD, and he just gets fucking destroyed mid because he doesn't know the last hitting animation or how to fucking skill the hero or do anything useful on the hero. Much rather have this dude get completely obliterated mid on Invoker because he gets counterpicked and then eventually come back and win in the late game because he actually knows how to cast his spells than just be completely useless on a hero he has no idea what he's doing on. I would say that competitively speaking, I have I've seen so many teams that I've been on or like friends that are on teams where they go through the phase of just saying fuck it we're gonna pick a good draft and so quickly they switch back to comfort picks um and basically like the way that you the way that tier one teams integrate the best heroes into their drafts and draft that kind of just good lineup style of dota is that they grind all day and make these things their comfort picks they get they get to know them some even use competitive do you remember when that, but... GH spent literally a month playing only Earth Spirit for like eight to twelve games a day, because he wasn't he he didn't play Earth Spirit and he was on arguably the best team in the world as a four player with no Earth Spirit in his hero pool and that's completely unacceptable in today's day and age as a professional Dota player. So he had to add Earth Spirit to his his hero pool and what did he do? He played the only that hero. He went to work. He actually treated Earth Spirit like a job and yeah. learned Earth Spirit to the point where he actually has very good Earth Spirit mechanics now and can pick it comfortably. So if you're looking to practice in like a scrim, for example, you can pick people uncomfortable heroes and just pick a good draft. Um, but it's with the intent of practicing. If you're looking yeah. to win with the draft, you want to pick 
comfort and only pick those really good heroes if they're um if they've practiced it and it's become comfortable for them uh and i can i can say that like probably 10 to 15 teams that i've known the inside inner workings of the team i've i've heard of this happening <laughs> like so many times it occurs that it's it's like a common trend where people captains always make the mistake of saying fuck it i'm gonna draft good dota but it's more like if a captain can't draft good dota for a team it's not because the like it's the player's fault you know what i mean because they're not practicing these heroes that are good um unless the captain is genuinely picking shitty drafts but usually like good drafts are just dictated by players being very good with heroes i think he said that in one of his videos like it's not like the meta is people are just picking what team secret and everybody's picking there's there's a meta out there that's way stronger than this shit that people aren't doing because the best teams haven't done it yet. It's just the good players that are dictating how the meta changes. It's not yep. the other way around. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's always another meta. There's always a counter to the meta. Like, that's how Dota works. There's always some, like we were just saying, people are picking Lifestealer, and that hero's not even that good, but he's in every single game. And, like, once we start seeing Weaver come back in as a carry, Lifestealer's just going to go completely irrelevant again because he's useless against heroes like Weaver. So, Panos SF says, Jenkins, is it better to rush Desolator or Nullifier on Pudge? Yes. It is better to rush either of those items. Um, anyway, so... Lots of people are asking how to counter Kunkamid. Um, I would say that you want some sort of like persistent damage against Kunka. The biggest issue with that piece of shit Captain Admiral cocksucker right now is that he's so tanky. He's so incredibly hard to kill that you need some sort of like long-lasting damage, like Death Prophet with the Spirit Siphon, Necrophos with the um heartstopper or a razor because you can drain kuka's damage and just keep hunting him down and hitting him like you don't you you can't just pick some normal mid laner against kunka and expect to to own like some tinker or some pugna or od these heroes don't really do much in, in terms of killing him uh, that that seems to me like what the biggest issue with kunka is that, is that he can get so much out of a game because not only is he really effective in terms of team fights and damage it's like all of these things are true, and he can build the same items and just feel unkillable with that boat buff. So he makes so much space, and it's it's so much harder dealing with like a, a, a hero that's doing a ton of damage in the mid game, like a core hero, when they haven't died at all. And Kunka just never dies. So you need, I think, in general, like in a draft, you want some sort of hero that kills Kunka. And basically, burst doesn't work. <laughs> boat buff, the regen talent that he gets. The fact that he has so much strength and builds into bracers and phase boots, which give armor, like you need something other than burst. You need persistent damage, and then you you'll find that Kunkka is a lot less of an issue. I bet I, Phoenix I would, is pretty good against Kunkka in that regard, just because. Well, I think it's a, just because Kunkka doesn't have very good attack speed. Like, I mean, granted, he goes BKB, but he's also a very high HP pool, and Phoenix has Sunray. I don't know. Phoenix is like the Phoenix is definitely like you would rather have a Phoenix on your team than something that doesn't do what Phoenix does. I, I wouldn't say it's like a hard counter as like something like a Necrophos. Necrophos loves playing against Kunkka. Yeah. Where Phoenix, Phoenix, like Phoenix is good against Kunkka. I'd say you would probably want two Phoenix esque heroes, like that are as good as Phoenix against Kunkka, and then you're good. You don't need to worry about Kunkka because it, it, it's really hard dealing with like a life stealer or Kunkka. They're in the exact same category, in my opinion, where like they feel like this uncounterable piece of shit hero but only because they're not countered only because what they're doing in the game is not dealt with if there's no way of piercing lifestealers bkb or kiting him or doing damage to him through the bkb yes he feels like a monster but the problem is not that he's that good it's that people aren't picking shit to deal with it and i think kunkka is within the same category right now od and these mid heroes they don't deal with him well because they just do burst Actually, Odie's pretty good against. Kunkka, Odie's but, pretty good against. So, okay. so that wasn't that wasn't a great example, but not with the not really with the astral build so much, but uh, because Kunkka can just push the. But anyway, that's getting into like. But also, kind of you can and stuff like that. You can go stuff that has innate regen as well, like stuff like DK, like in these heroes that can't really be pushed out of lane by right. Counter it by doing the exactly the same thing that Kunkka basically does. Right. Um, yeah, that's 
yeah, that's just, an option. Just make it so he can't just force you out of lane by just having more HP than you and, and cleaving you constantly. Um, right, and then you're essentially doing the same thing as him in the game, where you're this tanky core that's never dying. Feels like such a problem for the enemy team. They have to invest so much into killing you. Yeah, that's that's an option. I would say like your ideal situation is like if you have a guy that's doing that as well, like a a, a DK mid, and then you have some hero on a side lane that can kill Kunkka and fights like a Batrider, you're Gucci. That hero, it's not going to feel like a hero. The yeah. problem is entire drafts lack lack something to eventually kill Kunkka. Timber saw very similar in my opinion. Like if you have a Batrider on your team, it doesn't matter if he lanes against the Timber saw. Timber saw is killable at some point in the game. The problem is when he's unkillable. Um, all right, here's the last question I wanted to cover because I think this is a good one to end on. Um, just be humble. Motivation says I'm stuck at 5.2k. How do I get to 6k? I stopped university for that, and I'm still stuck here, aiming to grow. Ah, that's a that's a hard one. I mean, uh, from from my personal experience in playing in the divine bracket in the previous couple of weeks. Um, I would say that the largest difference between Divine and Immortal is the fact that in Divine, people just fucking run at fights for no purpose whatsoever other than fighting. Um, people don't counterpick. People don't essentially take advantage of good opportunities or dodge bad opportunities. People just go to everything um, and commit on everything. Like, if you look at Immortal... Um, so basically what I'm saying is in... In divine, people will just fight until they die, no matter what. Whether or not whether or not they have spells, whether it's in the laning phase, they will almost always just commit to everything. In immortal, people think about whether or not to commit. A lot of the time in immortal, like when I'm laning, I've been feeding a lot in lanes when I'm playing on my main because in divine, people won't kill me when they know that they can kill me. In or if I run into the trees, they'll keep chasing me, even though it's now a bad play for them to do that. They die to me, I get a triple kill, I crush the divine game. But in Immortal, they don't chase me into the trees because they know that action is no longer good. Like, essentially, I would say that the biggest difference between those two brackets is that in Immortal, people will cancel actions. They won't just commit to some shit because it's happening. They will think about... Like, what is the purpose for doing that? And they'll constantly think about it, and they'll, like, sacrifice their team dying, whether it's in the lanes, whether it's they'll sacrifice Roshan, whether it's they'll sacrifice a fucking barracks. If it's not good, they won't do it in Immortal. Or at least they'll be better at, like, selecting these situations. Um, so that's actually been an adjustment for me, playing on my main, is that, like, I can't just pick Necro in every game because people are picking Jug. They're taking advantage of openings that I'm leaving. So I would basically just recommend... Start not showing up the fights that are bad. Don't show up to them. If the enemy team has a bad hero that you can counter, counterpick it. Like, take advantage of the things that the enemy team is leaving open, open to you. And when you have openings, when something looks bad, make sure to do something else. Don't just, don't just commit to everything with your team. That's basically what I'm saying. Don't commit to everything with your team. <laughs> because you'll, you'll, you'll win so many games from just that one fight that you didn't take because it was fucking terrible. And then you're alive, you split push, and then all of a sudden in the late game, you're really strong because you didn't die at all in the early game because your team was fighting and you weren't, you allowed them to make space for you, and then you could eventually carry. Like, that's how I won, I have like a 95% win rate on that smurf or something like that. It was because I just thought everybody was like idiots and fighting, and a lot of the time we'd go super late game because for some reason my Slarp is fighting without his ultimate, without his BKB, but then I would eventually get a good scythe off on Necrophos because I wasn't dying, I got an Aghanim Scepter, and then I'd win the game. Like. To, like not going to an opportunity that is potentially there because it's bad will give you opportunities later in the game. You just have to like accept the loss. It's really important to accept the loss. And that is not something that divine players do. They do not accept losses. They will fucking commit to everything no matter what. Yep. And the only things I want to add to that are spend some time figuring out what has allowed you to be a 5.2 K player. Is it your picking? Is it your mechanics? Is it your heroes that you play? Is it your strategy? Is it your supporting? Like, whatever it is, figure out what that is. And then once you know that, figure out whether you're using that as a crutch or just keeping you at that MMR. Like, for example, I know that there's a lot of people that play, you know, heroes exclusively like Meepo or Broodmother or, 
um, Huskar or something like that, but then they're just not good at any other heroes or not nearly as good at other heroes. And so they'll like, they'll try picking, you know, a meta hero and they'll lose a game and then they'll lose another game on another meta hero. And then they'll just play Huskar for like four games in a row and win all four of them. And now they're back to like their MMR that they were before. And so that might be the reason that somebody is at a certain level and then they're plateauing is because they just simply don't have other options. Another thing might be like, Maybe you have really, really good mid and late game strategic thinking. Maybe you are very good at selecting what fights to go to and when to take objectives and when to push, but you're fucking ass at laning and like your last hitting is terrible and your itemization is terrible. And so while you have very good strategic mind for the game, you need to really brush up on some other very basic stuff. Um, You know, like there's a lot of reasons that you can win games of Dota. Sometimes it's your picks. And sometimes it's your itemization, and sometimes it's your decision-making, and you need to figure out what's actually getting you to this MMR, and that's going to allow you to know what's holding you back as well. That is a common situation where you're picking Huskar, gaining a lot because of that, and then you stop doing it, you fall, and you just keep going back and forth. Um, I've seen that a lot, and that happens with me too, where it's like, I'll really care about picks, I'll win a lot, and then I'll all of a sudden start first picking my hero because I don't want people to steal my role. And then it's like, oh man, <laughs> this is losing me so many games because now I'm Necrophos versus a fucking Juggernaut who's just spinning on me in lane and killing me. And in every other game that I played when I was climbing, I was Necrophos versus no counters because I was I wait to pick it. So it's like a very simple change like that can actually totally fuck you over. And, you know, sometimes things are cyclical in life. Well, always. things are Life is cyclical. That is just how we are as 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 creatures we are we are creatures of habit and uh basically if you're stuck at 5.2k mmr you're in a cycle and you need to do something to break that cycle and that's why in the video about plateauing i basically talk about you need to do something to, to get out of your comfort zone you need to just do anything that you possibly can to introduce change into your life so that whatever cycle you're in you're going to make a change whether it's for better or for worse you need to make a change or you'll or you'll keep plateauing and the only way to do that is to break the cycle. The only way to break the cycle is to step out of your comfort zone. I don't know. Go sleep naked or something like that. Whatever, whatever gets you off. Try shrooms. What a, I shouldn't endorse that. I have, I'm not. I don't do drugs. But watch your replays. I'm just, I'm just, like do something other than just grind just games saying, all day. You know. Yeah. Just do anything. Anything different. Even in life, do anything different. Start a, a band. I don't fucking know. Just something to break the cycle because you're in a cycle if you're plateauing. You just need to get out of the cycle. That's it. Yep. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching Alchemy Answers episode 20. The the episode will be live on YouTube here in the next day or so. Uh, I need to release episode 19 because I forgot to do that. So that'll come out today. And then we'll probably be out tomorrow or the next day. Uh, Yeah, Rick and Pepperonis. But thank you guys for your questions as always. Um, and just to shamelessly plug it again, if you want your questions answered guaranteed every single week on Tuesday, please support us on Patreon because, uh, that allows us to continue to make all this content, do these streams and help everybody get better at Dota, including ourselves. So peace out everybody. Good luck in your games and we'll see you next time.